Let's just take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you that we could meet you at any point, in any time, in any place, because you are present. So, Father, the prayer isn't asking for you to show up. It's asking for us to show up. Father, that our heart and mind would be one with you. So, Lord, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts and minds and renew us in this very moment. Father, we want to come and be transformed as a result of meeting with you now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin a five-week series through 1 Peter. There's five chapters in 1 Peter. And what we want to talk about is persevering in a time of crisis or persevering in a, in a troubled time. It's something that we could relate to. And I believe that 1 Peter and uh, these chapters will give us some insight in what we're going through, but really insight about being a Christian. And the first chapter of Peter, really we could lock that in and look at it as Jesus, our living hope, or our living hope. And the overall theme of First Peter's letter is living victoriously in the midst of persecution. That our faith is strengthened as we persevere through our trials. We are continually being formed into the image of Jesus, who is our living hope. Currently going through the greatest crisis and trial of our lifetime, and I believe Peter's letter could begin to be a guide to help us through. There's a lot that we do know about Peter, but some of the highlights about Peter's life and to understand this letter is that we know he was a fisherman. We know that uh, he was brought to Jesus by his brother Andrew. Peter's one of the chosen to be close to Jesus, one of the inner three that he brought to himself, that when Jesus encounters Peter, he changes his name from Simon to Peter, which is to mean rock or stone. Uh, we know that he speaks more than any of the other disciples throughout the scripture. He's a witness at the time of the transfiguration. We know that he denied Christ three times. He became a leader uh, after uh, Pentecost, a leader of the way, a leader of the Christian movement, and that he would bring the gospel to Gentiles, that he spoke at the Jerusalem Council. And then he writes these two letters and is martyred in 67 AD. Now, Peter's letters would have been written somewhere around 62, 64 when he, when he wrote these. So you've got to think this is 30 years after Christ's crucifixion and rising from the dead. And the church is beginning to get mobilized or those who are coming to the faith and it's spreading beyond Jerusalem at this point. And he's writing out to people who are spread throughout what would be the world to them, you know, as they go out. And this letter is actually Asia Minor or the Turkey area. But he's not addressing his letter to just said one church where Paul was specific, but that many would be able to read this letter to understand in the time that they're going through to continue to persevere and how important that was. And we know that, that this 30 years later after Peter has witnessed what he witnessed, restored to Christ, and knowing that he's empowered now to bring that gospel forward. We know that, that I think he longed to think about that relationship that he had with Christ. I think he longed to think about the areas where he made mistakes and then the area where he was restored in that relationship with Jesus. And often we look at Peter and when he speaks, we often say to ourselves, he should probably think before he speaks. But I think we can all relate to that. 
I love how human Peter is. I can identify with Peter's life. And we know that Peter spent three years of his life with Jesus. And I believe that he was more than just a disciple. That he was more than just an apostle. I believe Peter was a friend to Jesus. That he was Jesus' friend in that time. And serving along and encountering the different things that happened. So Peter writes to give hope in the midst of an incredible difficult time. And to remind us. Of that our salvation is in Christ Jesus. And he writes this letter to bring hope to those who are scattered throughout. And Peter gives advice on how to live a godly life before unbelievers. Then he concludes with a reminder that the Lord will return and he will restore all things. 1 Peter 1 opens with this incredible greeting, this beautiful greeting to those who've been chosen by God as he writes to the church, sanctified by the Holy Spirit and born again in this living hope. And in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just picture you're receiving, this is, from an apostle that's coming to you and, and, and this word of hope, this word of encouragement. And, and he goes on in verse 4, he says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in the heavens for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter reminds us our salvation is grounded in God's mercy. It's an act of compassion towards us despite our sinful condition. It doesn't matter our circumstance or where we are or how far we might feel that we're from God, that that it's grounded in God's mercy. Our salvation is grounded in that relationship with who he is. And it's his great compassion for us that draws us near to him. It's through his compassion that he meets and overcomes our sinful condition. That in Christ, we're given this new spiritual life and it enables us to live in an eternal or an eternally new dimension or a new understanding. And he's reminding the church that, that, that it's beyond the things of this world because Jesus took on our humanity and he overcame the cross. We can now share in his divinity, which is his godliness sanctifies our humanness. And, and that because of that, they're, they're separated and they're made different as a result of what Jesus did and not to forget that very thing. See, this new life gives us a living hope, not wishful thinking. And we confuse hope with wishful thinking and it's very, very different when you understand the truth of the gospel, when you understand what's been fulfilled. But in a time of crisis, in a time of trial, In suffering, in circumstances, we can begin to lose that hope. And then we move to a place of wishful thinking. And Peter's reminding the church, don't start with wishful thinking. Jesus gives us this living hope. Remember that Jesus will meet you in that place. See, our our living hope is a dynamic confidence that does not end in this life, but it continues through all eternity because of what Jesus did, because he overcame the grave. That this, this new hope gives us this empowered confidence 
And if I don't have that confidence in who he is, I've got to begin back at that relationship and allow him to be in my life in the way that he needs to be. It means I haven't fully surrendered to that place if I don't believe he is that living hope. But if I believe he's our living hope or he's my living hope in my life for what he's did and what he's accomplished, then I recognize that now I have this confidence that, that it doesn't end in this life. A confidence that is an eternal confidence knowing for what he's done for me. Our eternal life is an inheritance and it's incorruptible. We've got to get hold of that. When Peter tells him, listen, don't focus so much on here and right now what's going on. I want you to look past that. I want you to look at the bigger picture of what's going on. I want you to recognize that eternal life that he gives you, this eternal life that you're inheriting. And that eternal life is not corruptible. It will, it will not be corrupted. See, we as the people of God have to have an eternal perspective, not a temporal one. But when we're in a crisis and we're, our lives are t- turned upside down, we begin to forget that. And we begin to look at the things that are temporal of this world. And our view shifts from a kingdom view to a world view. And Peter's giving them an understanding, don't forget your kingdom view. Hold on to your kingdom view, not the world one that's temporal. Have that eternal perspective. Let that be first and foremost in your hearts and in your minds. First Peter 1, 6-9, he goes on. And he says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you did not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with your joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's telling them, look, we should daily rejoice in the good news of Christ, our living hope. Don't look at the temporal. Look at the eternal. And when you look at the eternal, We daily rejoice in that good news of Jesus, our living hope. See, when trials come, our hope is tested. And all the more that we need to proclaim the genuineness of our faith. That that our faith is more precious than gold. That our faith is more precious than silver. Things that would, would corrupt. Those things that would perish. Our faith is greater than that. And Peter tells them, Listen, your faith will be tested. Their trials will be there and they're going to come. They're going to be tested through that fire. And it's in these moments, it's in these crises, it's in these trials that we're to be found in that place of giving glory and honor to our king. Why? Because he gives us an eternal life, not a temporal one. And when we lay hold of the fact that it's an eternal life, that I won't be bound up by those things in this moment, but I look beyond those things and recognize what Christ has done and what he'll continue to do in and through my life. That sometimes when I'm caught in these moments, I've got to remember that these moments are temporal. I've got to remember the genuineness of my faith. The rest of 1 Peter chapter 1 reminds us to strengthen our faith by not conforming to the world. 
to be set apart, to love one another fervently with a pure heart. And I think one of the greatest things that we could do right now is embrace one another and love one another fervently. Fervently in a relationship with one another. Fervently with a pure heart. Because you know what happens is we engage in those relationships and that love for one another. All of a sudden it seems like some of our trials begin to pass away. And we begin to grow and our faith is strengthened as a result of loving one another. See, our hope rests fully on the grace that was brought to us in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in fully resting in that grace of knowing who Jesus is. See, going through a crisis is not a reason to fall away from God. It's all the more reason that we're called to run to him. We persevere through our trials because Jesus is our living hope. And if you're in a trial right now and you're just hurting right now, as many of us are, it's not a time to fall into traps of sin or be distracted and pulled away, but it's a time to press in unlike you've ever pressed in before, to persevere after that relationship with him, to run to him. And if not running to him daily, it's running to him moment by moment, getting through crisis or circumstance or trial by trial and he's with us but we are called to run to him what an incredible time in the world where so much has been stilled around us in our lives where where the the normal distractions have been shut down things have made us super busy in our life and now we're looking for things to do to kill time in our day what an incredible opportunity for us to grow in that relationship and run to the Lord, to press in to the Lord, to trust in the Lord. First Peter 1, 15 through 16 says this, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it's written, be holy for I am holy. Throughout Peter, we'll see he's just quoting through the Old Testament and getting it in the hearts of this group. By the way, that's not just a group of Jewish people. It's Gentile people. It's converts. Most of them are servants or slaves and living a very difficult life. And it reminds them to be holy as I am holy from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 through 45. And I think we complicate that word holy. Because I, I, I think that we begin to somehow let doubt get in and figure I could never be holy enough to be in that relationship with Christ. But he's reminding them to be holy as I am, as holy as he's holy. And what he's reminding them is don't rely on your holiness, rely on his holiness. It's a result of his holiness that we could be holy. And holiness is just this, it's to be set apart. Holiness means that I would live a life dedicated to God. That I'll separate my life from the things of the world. That as a Christian, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to respond to a crisis or trial or suffering differently because he's holy. And because he lets me participate in his holiness. And there should be desire. Why? Because he loves us. And because he loves us, we want to be more like him and less like the world. Call to set our lives apart. What an opportunity right now in our communities to live a life set apart to our neighbor, 
What an opportunity to live our lives set apart to our family, to our friends, to show a life that's dedicated to God, that's committed to who he is. And why can we do that? Because we know Jesus is our living hope. And if we know Jesus is our living hope, that he will meet us and strengthen us. Why? Because our, thi- our minds are not set on the things that are temporal. Our minds are set on the things and the promise that is eternal. So draw near to God. He's with us. He will get us through any crisis, trial, or suffering. Jesus is our living hope, and his gift of grace for us is eternal. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we could, Lord, look on the things that are above, that, Lord, you are our living hope. And you give us this promise that's an eternal life. So, Lord, we want to be those, your disciples, who follow after you to be set apart. So give us a strength today to have that eternal perspective. And not just relying on you as our living hope, but we too can bring that hope into others' lives. Now, maybe this is the first time you've come online and joined us and To know Jesus as your living hope, you first have to make a decision that he's Lord of your life. And there's this grace, there's this gift that's given to us, but we have to turn, we have to repent from the way that we lived our life to have a relationship with him. But he makes that invitation for you to come. And if you don't know Jesus in that way and you want to make him your living hope today, I want to pray with you. And I want you to pray this prayer and ask him into your life so that he would be that living hope, that you will have an eternal perspective now in your life of who he is and what he's done for you. So if you'd like to pray with me to know him in that way, I just want you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person you want me to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Now if you prayed that with me, I just want you to let us know so that we can help you on this journey. Just respond in the comments or you can email us through the website. Just let us know because we want to help you on this new faith, this newfound relationship with Christ and help you grow in your journey with him. Amen.